This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedalian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. Thanks so much for taking your time out of uh, your day uh, to join me here on Shining Stars. A home, that is uh, something that many of us take for granted. But what happens when you find yourself in a situation where you're displaced or no longer have some place to call home? Where do you go? This is a challenge that refugees, asylees, migrants, and even many of our own U.S. citizens face every single day. Here in Lansing, the Umoja House is a nonprofit that has made it a goal to create a welcoming and safe place for these types of people. Individuals who are fleeing violence and persecution, or at the very least, need a temporary place to call home. To talk a little bit more about that, I'm pleased to welcome into the studio today the co-founder of the Umoja House, that is Dr. Charla Burnett. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So glad you could come in and uh, talk a little bit about this. I ended up running across a story in the Lansing State Journal. I'd heard about it other times uh, while talking to other individuals. Uh, but some people probably are not familiar with it yet. So let's start by taking a moment to explain to anyone not familiar with the Emoja House what it is and how it came to be. Yeah, um, the Emoja House is a transitional home for all kinds of migrants, whether it be refugees and asylees coming internationally or for those internally displaced here in Lansing. Um, and essentially what we do is a non-equity mutual aid model ran like a hostel. Those who can pay, pay what they can. There's no leasing agreement, no down payment, no hidden fees. Um, and then anything over the utilities, the mortgage, and having a cleaner come clean the common areas goes back into a pool where anybody can apply first come, first serve to have reduced or free stays with us. Okay. It's an interesting concept. Uh, how did it kind of develop? I did it. Was it just a natural inclination, something that you came up with? What What's the story behind that? Um, well, when I was um, 19, uh, actually going to school here at LCC, I was supposed to go on a, a field trip to France. I had been studying French for about five years. Okay. Um, and my professor had a heart attack. Um, oh, wow. And couldn't take us. And so the trip was canceled. Oof. And I visited him in the hospital and he uh, encouraged me to go on my own. So I went to France at 19 by myself, uh, first person in my family to leave the country in, in hundreds of years. And um, I stayed in a hostel and I, I stayed in a room with four other girls, but there were also mixed um, dorms. And I was taken back about how easy it was just to 
go in and stay for 15, 20 euros, um, much cheaper than any of the hotels that I looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in the level of trust and reciprocity that these people felt for one another, something that I found very lacking in my home community. It's very cool that you were a LCC student. Can you like expand on that a little bit? Did you did you find it to be a positive experience here at LCC? It was a very positive experience for me. Um, I didn't get into Michigan State the first year that I applied. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew that I needed to go to college so that I could change my own social economic status. Um, and I was taken back by how tentative the professors were here, particularly to help me uh, navigate just trying to apply for funding to get into college and choosing my classes um, all the way to, you know, meeting me to tutor me in writing. Um, You know, just just really it was a different experience than I've had at other universities. That's awesome to hear. And it's awesome that you had that experience, especially early on. Um, We're very big on calling it a culture of care around here. And it seems like that's existed for quite a while. Uh, and it's great that, that that not only were you an LCC graduate, you went to MSU, and then you turned around and did something like this with the Emoja House. Now, is this pretty much what you envisioned originally? Um, no, actually. Um, growing up pretty poor in Lansing, I kind of was jaded by my experience here, and I didn't mm-hmm. really want to move back to the United States. Mm. Um, prior to returning to Lansing, Um, And and coming back to the U.S. for my Ph.D., I was living um, in West Africa and then in the Middle East working in refugee camps. And I had focused on and trying to find a career where I could spend most of my life doing that. Um, In 2015, I was offered a full ride scholarship to do a Ph.D. at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. Um, Mm -hmm. So I came home then. Um, And then I had um, some health issues that required me to make a decision about whether or not I wanted to have children. And so I decided to have my son and I decided to move home in 2019. Um, Mm. And I found some of the same issues that I had growing up very prevalent here in the community, um, including just the lack of having any type of community, um, which I had wanted for my son. And so this was one avenue in which I could guarantee that he would have the village um, that I wanted him to have when I was raising him. It's given him probably exposure to a lot of different cultures then. Yeah, definitely. So far we've had um, eight different countries, people from eight different countries represented at Emoja House. That is very cool right there. Uh, If someone was listening and they wanted to explore whether the Emoja House is an option for them, where would they start doing that? What do they need to do? Yeah, so um, essentially you just go to our website, emoja.house, or you can call 517-667-8178 to speak to somebody at our office. Um, And what we'll do is we'll help you figure out um, what spaces are currently available. We've actually been at 97% capacity since opening January 1st. Um, So we are usually fully booked out in a month in advance. Um, And sometimes even our assistance um, is booked out for several months before. Um, So it's definitely important to get in contact with us uh, quickly if you're in need of assistance um, or if you're needing to stay. Just remember, it's probably going to be about three weeks to four weeks out. Okay. Uh, If you happen to be listening on the uh, radio, we will uh, recap that probably a little bit later on in the show. And of course, you can always uh, stop by lccconnect.org. And I will have a lot of that information up in the uh, show notes for the podcast portion. 
of course, our primary goal on this show is to highlight individuals and organizations creating positive change in the world. But I also like to explore the connections as to what motivates people to bring about that positive change. And one of the questions that I'm very famous for asking for because I love it is I like to hear people's different definitions of what the words positive change to means to them. And then if you can kind of help me to understand how you feel Emoja House fits into your personal definition. Yeah, well, I think positive change, the meaning is very subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I think it can be something as little as telling someone that their shirt is really nice on them today and <laughs> watching them smile. And I think that's a lot of great positive change in someone's day to day life. Um, For me personally, positive change comes at addressing the systemic inequalities that have perpetuated uh, in the United States and abroad um, for a long time. And so I look at things from a very global um, or high up policy level change that needs to occur. But before that change can occur, you have to show policymakers that these ideas are realistic and can be implemented, which is why I set out with the Emoja House to show our current housing structure that there are alternative systems that work that do not need to be reliant on public, uh, local or federal funding to be able to exist and help people in a day to day. Currently, on average, it takes $80,000 a year to house a single homeless person. Mm. Um, and that's, that's substantial. You could buy somebody a house for $80,000 here in Lansing, right? Mm-hmm. And then they wouldn't have to worry about that housing issue. Right. So we really need to take a step back and look at who's profiting from the current system um, and whether or not it's actually benefiting the people we set up to help. Okay. It sounds like a lot of your, uh, your travels abroad was kind of almost the catalyst for your, uh, your worldview. Uh, am, am I correct in saying that? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, living in West Africa and Liberia specifically um, showed me kind of what slavery and how it impacted even Africa um, into present day, even though we don't have slavery. Um, essentially, a group of slaves and in the 1800s was sent back to Liberia and given a chunk of land there in which they and then enslaved the local population, which led to an uprising in almost a 40 year civil war that has just demolished their economy and their social structure. And yet, even in the face of such adversity, they um, continue to be there for one another. They continue to cling on to their cultural values. Another example is the work that I did in Palestine, um, where, again, it's another issue of um, a group of people who were persecuted, who then turned around and persecuted another population. And it's this cycle of violence that continues to allow for and justify in the minds of people to harm others. Um, and and so for me, um, you know, Learning those types of lessons in real time and with people who are are there has given me a set of, I would say, like a wisdom um, that I wanted to bring home with me about what it means to stand up for something in political value um, and also how to manage conflict in a healthy way instead of a violent way. Very um, cool. Yeah. Okay. Emoja House. We I don't I don't think we've actually dove into it. In case somebody wants to know how to spell it, uh, it's uh, just a little bit unusual. Uh, it's U M O J A. What is it from? 
Um, Emoja is unity in Swahili. Um, I worked with a Tanzanian uh, priest Mm -hmm. uh, who I went to school with at the School of International Training in in Brattleboro, Vermont. And we worked together to help um, raise funding after a girl's dormitory burnt down. And uh, when I was thinking about the idea for the house, I kind of pitched it to Facebook and I let other people decide the name. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was something that he had uh, suggested to me, and I, I thought it would be good. Um, there are other emoji houses across the nation for various purposes, um, but p- more particularly to house people who have been historically marginalized or uh, not allowed to participate in policy, particularly among the black community in the United States. Okay. And I wanted this to be a safe place for non-white um, individuals and for L- the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. um, as they don't often have very many safe places. A lot of the shelters here in Lansing, religious shelters, require them to attend Bible study or even conversion therapy to receive shelter. Um, and and to me, that uh, does not constitute a safe space. Um, so this is a place for them. Okay, very good. Uh, would you consider this to be a successful venture so far? And where do you anticipate that uh, you'll be going from here with the uh, Umoja House? Yeah, so um, essentially this was an idea that I had for a couple of years, but without um, the financial capital to invest. And Mm -hmm. so it took me some time to save up the money and then to also find additional investors. Um, But we didn't get the green light to go until September of last year. And we didn't open our doors until January 1st. Um, And so essentially the first year is a pilot model. Mm -hmm. Um, It's conducting a lot of uh, research and evaluating whether or not um, we've been successful. We measure success as uh, the number of individuals we've uh, helped to find permanent housing. Okay. Um, Residents can stay up to 12 months, but our average amount for our assistance um, program has only been two months. Um, and so we're trying to see how many we can fit into our current budget. Um, and then we'll be able to go from there as to really whether or not we can scale and if this is feasible. Very good. Uh, I'm glad that it's been going as well as it has. Uh, you kind of mentioned it in the beginning, trying to gain the original capital, everything that you needed to get everything started. But as with any nonprofit, part of Emoja's support system is through generosity of those who are willing to give. Can you give listeners an idea of how they could uh, be a supporter, if you will? Yeah, so um, financial support is probably the best way you can help individuals here in Lansing uh, have housing. We have, you know, consumers energy and BWL bills Mm -hmm. to pay. So -hmm. that helps uh, in the assistance to do that. Um, And then essentially we also have... um, computers in each of the houses that anyone in the public can use. We have first free space for the public to use. Mm. Um, So you can come and hold events there and bring awareness to the issues around housing and migration, um, particularly around the need for safe migration. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also we usually have specific drives around like detergent, um, food, like non-perishable goods, Sheets and uh, towels are also another big thing that we are often looking for. Um, So, you know, just following us on our social media, we have Instagram and Facebook, which is just emoja.house. And then you can follow all of our events there as well. Very cool. That is, again, Emoja House. And uh, go ahead and recap that uh, website address for us one more time, would you? Yeah, it's emoja.house. 
Okay. And the phone number again, we will, I'll go ahead and say it just real quick. 517-667-8178. And then again, I'll have that up on lccconnect.org. You can stop by the uh, website platform page or the uh, podcast platform page rather. And in the show notes, I'll have uh, details for anybody who wants that. Well, I want to say thank you very much for coming in. Uh, Before we wrap things up, I've got my last and final question. Uh, again, this is uh, Dr. Dr. Charla Burnett from the Emoja House. And my final question that I ask of all my guests, if you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one thought into the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, what would that thought be? That there's no such thing as illegal migration and that migration is a natural um, human pathway to success and inhibiting anyone from migrating uh, is is harm. It's harmful and it's violent. All right. Very much on the human rights uh, side, which is kind of where I expected you to lay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again for coming in, Dr. Burnett. No problem. Thank you. Remember, we can all contribute something good to this world, no matter how big or small. A simple smile, a friendly gesture, that's all it takes to expand the power of positivity one inch further. I encourage you to find your shining star within by being the change you want to see. Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. Guys, like having a place to live, eating food, wearing clothes, sending 639 texts a week on a shiny new phone? There's one thing that can help you get the money to do all of those things. It's called a job. If you're a guy turning 18, there's one important thing you need to do to make sure the job market is wide open for you. Register with the Selective Service System at SSS.gov. Failing to register with Selective Service would mean you'd not only be breaking the law, you'd also be unable to apply for federal jobs, many state and municipal jobs, and all kinds of job training programs the government offers. So guys, take a minute and register with the Selective Service. You'll keep your job prospects open. Otherwise, how are you going to get the basketball shoes with full-length responsive cushioning and an outsole cutout for low-profile impact protection? Take that minute. Go to sss.gov and register with Selective Service and keep all your options open.
Remember, it's quick, it's easy, it's the law. Lansing Community College's downtown and west campus offer newly renovated conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. Professional event planners are available to guide you through your experience from setup to catering. LCC offers convenient locations, state-of-the-art technology and hybrid meeting capabilities, in-house catering, free event parking, and on-site customer service. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces or to request a rental quote, please contact LCC's conference services at lcc-events at lcc.edu. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Amy Wagonar from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. Paul Weiss had a problem. It was 1943 and the United States was in the middle of World War II. Weiss, an immigrant from Prussia, had settled in Mount Clemens and in 1920 started growing roses in greenhouses. His business, the Mount Clemens Rose Gardens, enjoyed great success and helped make Mount Clemens famous as the rose capital of the United States. The outbreak of World War II posed a new challenge for Weiss and his rose business. Many of his workmen joined the armed forces, leaving his greenhouses short of workers. Weiss considered the dilemma and realized that a pool of skilled gardeners was still available. There was just one problem. They were Japanese Americans. Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941 brought the United States into the war. It also ushered in one of the most shameful periods in American history. In February 1942, anti-Japanese hysteria led President Franklin Roosevelt to sign an executive order that sent 127,000 Japanese-American citizens into internment camps. More than two-thirds of them had been born in the United States. Anyone with a single Japanese great-grandparent was considered to be of Japanese ancestry and interned. Internment was not limited to the United States. Canada and Mexico also interned their Japanese citizens. Paul Weiss knew that Japanese Americans had earned a reputation as skilled gardeners. In 1943, he asked the federal government for permission to bring some interned Japanese American families to work in his Mount Clemens Rose Gardens. The government gave its approval and dozens of families were saved from the camps and brought to Mount Clemens to work at the Rose Gardens. One of the workmen, George Segarra, spent the next 40 years working for the business and taught Weiss's grandson, who was also named Paul, everything he knew about growing roses. The Mount Clemens Rose Gardens continued to prosper after World War II. However, in 1991, the United States removed tariffs on foreign-produced roses. Competition led to a 95% drop-off in U.S.-produced roses. One victim of that decline was the Mount Clemens Rose Gardens, which closed its doors in 1999. Although the greenhouses are gone, what remains to this day are the friendships that developed between the Weiss family and those Japanese-American families who came to Mount Clemens. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
Lansing Community College is proud to present We're Better Than That, an anti-bigotry campaign. Embracing diversity is a continuing process, one that requires honesty, cooperation, and meaningful conversations. At Lansing Community College, we understand our journey towards inclusion and equity begins with an examination of how we relate to one another and a pledge to engage in the work necessary for meaningful progress to facilitate conversations and initiatives that will combat racism and hate speech in our college community. The Office of Diversity and Inclusion has partnered with the Office of Police and Public Safety to create We're Better Than That a comprehensive campaign to combat institutional bias and racism. To find out more about We're Better Than That, visit lcc.edu. Okay, here are five important reasons why your son or daughter should play a high school sport. Number one. High school sports teach valuable life lessons like self-discipline, sportsmanship, and time management skills. Two. Teens who play a high school sport have better grade point averages and fewer disciplinary problems. Number three. High school sports help fight teen obesity and substance abuse. Here's number four. High school sports provide wholesome, constructive after-school activity, perfect for today's families. And number five. And high school sports are safer than ever before. Injury surveillance and research, better equipment, and the continuing education programs for coaches provided by state and national athletic associations have made high school sports safer than ever before. This message presented by the Michigan High School Athletic Association and the Michigan Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply transfer credits towards their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash belong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hello, and thank you for tuning into Inside LCC Today. I'm Betsy Berger, Dean of the Health and Human Services Division at Lansing Community College. Today I'm excited to share one of the 12 programs in our division. Under the direction of licensed and registered faculty, we train emergency, healthcare, fitness, and human services professionals. Enjoy today's episode. The 24-week Fast Track Medical Assistant Program is a competency-based partnership between Lansing Community College and a local affiliated health center. LCC's long-standing curriculum is used throughout the program. The 24-week program is offered two times per year during the fall and spring semesters. The program is 736 hours, including a 160-hour clinical practicum and 48-hour registered medical assistant exam preparation course. Students complete didactics or MA theory courses 100% online and attend online real-time, which is a virtual lecture with a clinical instructor a minimum of twice a week for administrative and clinical instruction. The development of clinical and administrative knowledge, skills, and experience takes place at the health center under the guidance of an experienced MA preceptor. Program benefits include meeting the demand for qualified and trained medical assistants to fill open positions, Learning is geared to employer expectations and need, and a one-to-one mentorship with an experienced MA preceptor to enhance administrative and clinical MA skills. Graduates of the program receive a certificate of achievement upon program completion and are eligible to sit for the medical assistant exam 
through the American Medical Technologist to become a registered medical assistant. For more information about the 24-week Fast Track MA program, please contact Mary Lewis, the Medical Assistant Program Coordinator, at 517-483-1431 or by email at lccmedicalassistant at lcc.edu. I want to thank you for joining us today and hope you enjoyed today's episode. The field of health and human services provides a wide range of careers that are exciting, fulfilling, and offer many opportunities for professional growth. For more information about our associate degrees and certificates offered in the division, please visit our website at lcc.edu hhs or call the division office at 517-483-1410 to schedule a tour or connect with the program director. You can find today's episode of Inside LCC along with other great LCC programs at lccconnect.org. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Engaged learning and academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. To help students navigate their educational career, LCC has created a proactive approach to learning and providing students with several academic support services. To find out what's available, visit lcc.edu slash services. Hey, there he is. How's it going? I'm having a stroke. Are you going to shake my hand or what? I'm having a stroke. Wow, you're not even moving your arm. I'm having a stroke. Are you okay? I'm having a stroke. Your face looks weird, too. I'm having a stroke. Are you having a seizure or something? I'm having a stroke. When someone is having a stroke, they may not be able to say it with words, but their body language will tell you loud and clear. I'm having a stroke. You just need to know the sudden signs. Look for FAST, F-A-S-T, F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, or S, speech difficulty, then T, time. Time to call 911 immediately, because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment, and that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. Know the sudden signs. Face, arm, speech, time. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. Lansing Community College's Business and Community Institute provides businesses with customized, synergistic trainings that realize logistical opportunity. Learn more about the future of business today at lcc.edu slash bci. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. 
This is Teachable Moment, the show where we get to know the people that make LCC go. I'm Steve Robinson, president of Lansing Community College, and I go one-on-one with a member of our campus community to learn about a key concept or idea from their area of expertise. It's a show about what makes LCC great, the fantastic people with inspiring ideas who change lives every day with their incredible work. And today, I'm very excited because I have not one guest, but two Two special guests. First, Kevin Fowler is our multimedia coordinator and college photographer here at LCC. And we're also joined with by Derek Turner, who is the multimedia coordinator and university pr- photographer at Michigan State University. Two great college photographers with a wonderful discussion about how photography is an important part of institutional storytelling. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. I tell you what, uh, Kevin, since uh, since Derek is a guest uh, here at LCC, why don't we go first and, and have him talk a little bit about his background? Uh, you're the university photographer at MSU. How long have you had that role? And uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, the actual role I've had for like the last five years because the person who had it previously retired. Okay. But I've been at Michigan State University 34 years. 34 years. Wow, that's a great tenure. 12 years in the registrar's office as photographer, designer, and web coordinator. And then I was moved to university. Um, at the time, it was called Broadcast Photo, and then it became University Relation, and then it became Communications and Brand Strategy. Now we've just settled for University Communications. Well, and, you know, when I go to MSU events, I see you everywhere. I mean, the last, last time I was at the president's house, you were there photographing a really important event with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. III. And, and Robert Green. And Robert Green, a very important MSU person who was talking uh, at a, on a very significant day. So it was, and those are the kinds of events that uh, you are there as the yes. as a university photographer. Uh, and, and Kevin, you have been our photographer for how long? <laughs> Since uh, 2003. 2003. Yes. I was um, at MSU, actually, University Relations before that. I was... The athletic department photographer, essentially. Okay, great. And so now you play a very similar role, but for the whole college here. You're really uh, photographing all the same kind of events that Derek is fo- photographing at Michigan State. Uh, commencements, graduations, athletics, all the, all the important happenings of the college. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to be talking to you both today because, uh, as I've shared with you, I think that the visual storytelling uh, of colleges and universities is really important, and the role that photography plays is is central. So one of the things I'd like to hear from both of you, from your own perspectives, what role does photography play in telling an institution's story? I mean, how, how, how do your photographs aid in letting the public and the community know about what's going on at the university? And why don't we start with you, Jack? Absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. Crucial and a must-need across the board. Mm -hmm. Uh, Visuals tell the story, and the selection of a particular photo for a particular campaign or a particular book or web, absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. So I see my job as an absolute honor to be able to showcase Michigan State to the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that interests me, and I'll be interested to ask Kevin this question too, is it's one thing to just have great images of stuff or events or things, but 
What I've noticed in your work and Kevin's work is that, you know, great photographers have a particular point of view, a particular visual style. And, you know, I've only been paying attention for a year or two, but I think I can identify one of your photographs, Derek. And same thing with you, Kevin. Like you have a, um, a kind of a, a visual vocabulary. So uh, let me start with you, Derek. How would you, how would you describe your type of photography, um, the, the photography that you do for Michigan State? I think my gift as a photographer and prior to that, just as an artist, mm-hmm. is to be able to look at and compose and find the balance in a particular scene. Okay. I think that you can find or you can photograph any time of day, any time of night, whereas a lot of photographers say, well, I want to get the best light if I'm outside. My philosophy is that if I go out, I'm going to find something that I didn't see before, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make sure that if I get that photo, I want the world to see it. And so that's how my approach is that I'm an artist first, but the fact that I get to photograph at Michigan State University. My story actually started in 1977 on a high school visit. Wow, really? Visiting campus. During the lunch hour, being asked, I asked if I could go out and take pictures. He's like, yeah, sure. But the bus is leaving back to Flint at this time. <laughs> so wandering campus, this park-like beautiful place I fell in love with, and to be able to photograph it 35, 60 years later, that's just great. It is incredible. And you know, one of the things that our two colleges have in common is that we are uh, both Michigan State and LCC are remarkable places. I and mean, we have very interesting uh, visuals in terms of architecture and landscape. And so when I see your images at Michigan State, you've got these iconic scenes like the Red Cedar River and Beaumont Tower and these 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 historic buildings. Um that's true. That's true here, uh, Kevin, with LCC. A lot of your photography is our incredible public art in our buildings. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Oh, uh, sure. Um, it's true. It is. And we, I think Derek and I have slightly, slightly different philosophies about uh, photography as well. Mm-hmm. He, I tend to be the really weird guy who brings lights to everything he shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, no, I, that is a stylistic difference with, yeah, that I've noticed mm-hmm. between your work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I will, you know, when I had uh, an assistant here, uh, Courtney and I would spend, you know, a couple hours lighting something. Uh, we'd light a sculpture, you know, outdoors. You know, I, I would take that indoors too. Um, I figure I might as well. I bring the light with my with me so to make it everything look the best it possibly can mm-hmm. in my point of view. Well, and you know, a full disclosure, I, I'm not a photography critic, uh, but you know, my, the way I would describe your individual styles, uh, and I've told you this, Kevin, I would describe your style as kind of a chromographic style. It's got these that these colors that pop, and you're 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 playing with light and accentuating color, whereas. Uh, I don't know if I'm on the wrong track, Derek, but I would describe you as more of a kind of a naturalistic pr- photographer. There's a there's a sense that it reminds me almost like of travel photography or National Geographic. There's kind of a naturalistic. Uh, feel free to disagree with that. No, I, that's a that's perfectly defined my philosophy in photography. Um, as I said, I'm an artist first, mm-hmm. so a lot of the things I photograph have kind of an artistic twist, mm-hmm. and someone will see that, and someone will say. I was in the exact same spot that you were standing, but I didn't see that or I didn't notice that. Right. So that's one of the things I bring to the table is that I'm going to show show you something that perhaps you didn't realize was there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it reminds me of, uh, as an amateur photographer, one of the most uh, 
a, a statement that made a lot of imp a big impression on me was that you know good photographers don't take pictures they make them they construct mm -hmm. them and i think that's very true of your work kevin the the the, the color palette uh, particularly with our lcc blues and everything is it really figures prominently in a lot of the images that that we use of yours yeah i've been uh, when i was shooting film you know mm -hmm. 20 years ago whatever it was uh, I would always use Velvia, uh, even when I was shooting sports at MSU. Mm -hmm. uh, Velvia is a Fujifilm that, you know, is more vibrant than the normal films. Okay. Um, and I was, I was ridiculed about it occasionally, but I, I love it. it and I, I've always had this predilection for colors, for vibrance. Um, you, you can almost taste it to me, you know. Interesting. It's, you know, a great color. You just really feel it. It's, it's a physical thing. It does. All your um, images do. Uh, and, you know, even if it's even if it's just, you know, a board meeting. I mean, you took a portrait of the uh, the, the new board members and me because I'm, I'm new. And the colors pop in that one, too. Do you use um, uh, filters or is some of that happening? Does that all happen in the camera or does that happen in post? Oh, no. In, in post now, um, you know, with, with without film, everything happens in post. Our while digital is great, I mean, I, I don't know if Derek would agree, but I think our workload has increased probably by 50%. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so, so since you switched to, to digital, it may be easier, perceived, perceived as easier, but man, the hours we spend at the computer. So I have a question for you. Uh, I think a lot of people who don't have a background in photography might be surprised by that. They would assume that digital photography would make life e easier. But I'm, I, it sounds like you both agree it increased uh, time, increased workload. Talk to me about that. Why? Well, I think that because when you're shooting digital, mm -hmm. you know that you can manipulate it later. But my approach is try to get it right out of the camera. And because our... What social media and our universities expect, sometimes they want something immediate. And so, like, Kevin will be at a game, so be sure that he has the ability to send news agencies photos, you know, while he's on the field. Mm -hmm. uh, for myself, I'm glad I don't have to do that because I can always get back to my desk at home or on campus and then process images and get the cropping and dust cleaning off, just making it better before I hand it off. I think that for me, digital has been a blessing mm -hmm. because I've never been a technical photographer, whereas I'm looking at f-stops and I'm looking at exposure. I'm just looking at what I see and I take the picture and I'm like, hmm, dial up, dial down because this is what I need it to look like. Yeah, and I, w I will say this to you, and I, I'm, I ought to be careful saying this to photographers, but I do think that there is a tendency in photography to just take too deep a dive into the tech. And, uh, you know, photographers are famous for being you know, gear snobs. And, and, and to me, what, what makes good photography is, is in here, how you compose pictures, how you see the world, that artistic uh, uh, lens. Now, I'm glad we got to talk about some of the um, things that we photograph, you know, you know, landscapes, buildings, sculptures, but a good chunk of what you both do uh, is not just portraiture of people, but uh, other types of photographing people. Talk to me a little bit about what it's like to photograph students and uh, faculty and staff, either one of you. Well, it's becoming more difficult because now we have to be cognizant of the fact that do they want to be photographed in a public space? Interesting. Uh, because the law states or the implies that if you're outside, you can take a photo of anything and anyone. Got it. However, if they're on campus, I'm sure Kevin knows this too, students and faculty and communities 
have the right to not have their photo taken. Right, right. Well, I, I, I want to interject one idea. That's an important concept that, that we have to deal with when we do our help portrait event, because even if people are sitting for a portrait, they sometimes, you know, whether it's for a restraining order or some other kind of, you know, family safety issue, they don't want their images shared on social media and things like that. Um, do, does MSU have a blanket release that students uh, sign when they um, uh, enroll? Or, or do you have to, like, look at your images and make sure that everybody in there signed off in some way? Well, outside, <laughs> you can take a picture of anything, but students and everyone has the right to say no. But we do have a standard release that's been provided to and looked over by the university's legal department. Mm -hmm. And... It's, it, it covers photo and video, and every assigned shoot that we go to, we ask all of the participants and principals to sign the release. Okay. And it's just the, it, it's, it's, it saves everybody down the road. Mm -hmm. My most horrific story, um, I took a photo of a class outside. Introduced myself as I walked to the, talked to the instructor, take a picture of the kids sitting down. It's like early spring, mm -hmm. and that photo was chosen to put on it as a mural. However, the one person in the photo that had kind of a sour look on her face, her friends told her about it. Oh my. So she went and saw it, didn't like it, went to the ombudsman's office, went to her dean, and went to the provost, and that mural had to be, take, had to be taken down. Interesting. So we have to be careful that when we're photographing people inside or out, we give them an opportunity to say, I don't want my photograph taken. Interesting. And, you know, Kevin, I've seen a little bit about how we handle that here. What's, what's our strategy for dealing with uh, rights management uh, with photography? Well, we have uh, a release form, at, at, just like MSU, but mm -hmm. uh, we have incorporated the release form into our application. That's what I thought. Right, yep. So, um, so there's like that, a that blanket release yes. that mm -hmm. students sign. And then the other thing, t tell me a little bit about this. I've seen some signage at events uh, for folks uh, saying that, that f videography photography might be happening. Yes. Uh, when events where we can't possibly, you know, get release forms from everyone, uh, legal, and I've seen it done on, on TV productions as well, we will post signage that says, you know, if you enter here, you will be photographed or videoed, mm -hmm. you know, so that gives them, you know, an option to leave if they, if they so choose. Interesting. Interesting. So um, when, when you think about the role of the university photographer, one of the things I was chatting about before we started is that chances are if, uh, if an event or is significant, um, it's going to be photographed. So one of the things I find interesting about your roles at our two colleges is if you're pretty much everywhere, right? And so I wonder if you could tell, uh, if either one of you have an anecdote or, or, or a story about, you know, being part of a significant event uh, where photography was playing a role. Well, the university hosted um, and gave an honorary degree to recently passed Bishop Tutu. That's correct, yeah. So he was at commencement, but he was also at Cow's House for the reception. So I got to be there for that. And just to be able to... When everyone leaves, talk to him and tell him about myself and have him you know, smile and talk to me back. And then you realize, and I realize the university has allowed me the opportunity to be in the presence of giants. Yes. And, you know, what's interesting for me, particularly with that, like, like meeting Bishop Tutu, the, this must really 
put you in an interesting spot because you know you're there to document the event, but you also are participating as a as a person. I mean, it, you you couldn't not be moved by being in the presence of somebody like that. And so you've got this dual role. You're there in the presence of uh, presence of a really significant human, but you're also there with an important role of of chronicling it. Was there? Did you do you feel tension in those situations? Sometimes I just wish I could just go and sit down and yeah. listen. When the university had Harry Belafonte for the Slavery to Freedom series mm -hmm. by the College of Human Medicine, I'm there to photograph him and all the people he's meeting with prior, but I really wish I could have said, can I stand next to you somebody take my picture? <laughs> That's right. Oh, now you do want your picture taken. <laughs> yeah, because those type of opportunities is just rare, but they're absolutely a wonderful opportunity to just to be around greatness in a lot of respect. Yeah, and you know, Kevin, you and I have talked about this because uh, sometimes I, I see Kevin a lot more than I see you, Derek. The um, we'll be at an event and I will want to talk to you, but I'm thinking, well, he's he's got a job to do, you know. He's like, and I'm one of the things he has to take a picture of, so I don't want to bother you. Can you talk a little bit about that tension about you know when when we have say LCC employee events? You're an LCC employee, right? You're participating in learning, but you're also playing your role. Any tension there? Oh, absolutely. Um, as a photographer, you learn early on that uh, while everyone else is playing, you're working. You know, weekends, nights, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, so uh, when I was working at MSU, for instance, I you know, shot the national championships uh, uh, for basketball in 2000. Everyone was like, oh, that must have been great. I'm like, I don't know because I was working. Yeah, you were looking <laughs> you know? at it through yes. the box. Exactly. Right? Yeah, the same, you know, same thing for events here. Um, Mitt Romney was on campus, you know, uh, President Biden was here, things like that. And I'm love to be able to listen to them, but I'm, you know, I'm working trying to get the shots that we need that we need to get. Yeah, it's fascinating to me because it, it reminded me like one of my minors at Michigan State was anthropology. It seems to me that photographers are, are are like visual anthropologists. It's what the what they call participant observation. You have to partake in the event that you're photographing it's not like you're a drone flying around you're a human and um so a human point of view is really important but it's probably hard to leave that photography mode to be a participant right as as you discovered when we went on, our, on the bike trip that you had over the summer that's right <laughs> well and those were great images but uh you you really didn't get to have a fun bike ride that day you had to like go ahead and get on a bridge and be in a place where you could get a great shot um those are great pictures by the way and that you know, and let me just share this with you at, from the perspective of uh the president and by the way i have talked to dr stanley about you and your photography we we had a great conversation he told me that you're not shy tell him about where to stand and and, and what to do which is good you should be doing that but uh, as a, as the chief executive of the organization i just really value what what you do i mean when we for example we're we're trying to build awareness about that bike ride, the pedal with the president on the on the river trail. A really important part of getting people to come is having you know captivating imagery that makes it look fun, makes it look inclusive and inviting. And you know the the rest of the team also did a video. It's one of the ways that we get people to participate. So it's we're we're we live in such a visual uh, culture that those visuals are, are really important. I have one more question I'd be interested in. Uh, Derek, you talked about the, the bad story with a student who, did, who wanted to be pulled from the mural. Um, do, do either one of you have examples of images that 
you know, when you talk, when you took them, you, you didn't think that much about them, but they've really become iconic parts of, of, uh, of, of the storytelling for the college or the university. Any images pop to mind? I have two. Yeah. If you've ever been to the um, Lansing Capital City Airport, mm -hmm. yes. I saw the mural uh, for MSU, the Beaumont Tower, and the Sparty photo is mine. Excellent. So to see that, absolutely wonderful. And if you've ever been to the Breslin Center, mm -hmm. um, all of the renovations with all the photos in the hall, you know, famous hall for Kojizo, 70% of all the photos on the walls are mine. We were at a restaurant last night with a big picture of Coach Dizzo. I said, I wonder if that's one of Derek's pictures. <laughs> How about you, Kevin? Can you think of any? I can think of a few of your images that are that are huge. Oh, not really. I mean, like, like you said, in our social media environment now, everything is consumed so quickly. Um, you've got to crank out photos, you know, constantly just to satisfy the, the, the hungry beast. Um <laughs> I do have some things, you know, from MSU when I, you know, back in the day, um, and when I worked at the Journal. When I, I guess probably we have, you know, we have our billboard to hear things like that that are nice too. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 so it's consumed so quickly. Well, I can share some of mine. I'll tell you what: at any on any given day, there are four or five images on the LCC webpage that are just the wallpaper. Uh, you know, web designer will have a technical name for what that is, but it is a big image. It's a background. Those are all your images. They're always mm -hmm. um, and, and they and they tell that vibrant, colorful story. The other story that we really uh, try to tell here at LCC is just how inclusive uh, and diverse we are. I mean, our our um, you belong here campaign. That, that's exactly the story we're trying uh, to tell is to let people know this is a great place to come. And your imagery really does a great job of, uh, of kind of sharing that this is an open place. I, my experience with your images, they kind of draw me in. Uh, they're, they're like, I'd like, to, I'd like to be in that picture. And, and I think that, that, that's what we want. Uh, before we finish, gentlemen, there is something I was fascinated to learn that, that you're both part of a national organization for folks who have roles like yours. What, what's this organization uh, called? University of Photographers, University of Photographers Association of America. Professional Photographers, yes. Yeah. You, it's other, University Professional, Professional Photographers, Photographers Association. Association. UPAA. Great. Yes. And uh, um, do you get a lot of good professional development from this group, or uh, is there a newsletter? I mean, how, how are you hang together as a kind of a professional group? Oh, there's, con there's monthly contests. There's a yearly seminar or, you know. Gathering. Monthly contest. Yes. Lane, yes. let's write that down. We got to enter into some of these contests. <laughs> and there's a symposium every year yeah. where you get to, they bring in renowned people in the industry mm -hmm. as it relates to across the board, sports and everything else. And we get to sit and listen to their presentations. But it's also, I found to be an absolute wonderful sense of building camaraderie with people that you know or didn't know. Mm -hmm. Like I've known Kevin or about Kevin as early as 2000. But I had never like, spent a lot of time around him. But we have mutual, mutual friends, Greg Cahoot. And so, and when Kevin was gone, Greg was there. But I also found out that they're both similarities in how they approach photography. And they're one of the most, two of the most gracious people that I've ever met as it relates to helping someone. And that's what UPAA provides for me. An opportunity to meet people who, no egos involved, just how can I help you? You know, I wonder if that is in a photographer trait because it's something you both have in common. And I wanted to share a couple things really quickly. So, Derek, when you and I met when, when Dr. Green and, and, and Martin Luther King Jr. III were at the president's residence, 
it hit me, even though you were wearing a mask, that I'd met you before. I mean, when we were many years ago, uh, we were on a college visit for our son, and my wife and I are both uh, MSU alum, and we were walking across the, the bridge behind Main Library taking a selfie. And you stopped and said, could I take that for you? Uh, and you, and you, you, you took our picture. We still have it. And um, then I asked you, to, like, do you do this all the time? Are you the university photographer? And, they, and, and yes, that was your role, and that's how, that's how we met. And Kevin, you and I met, you were, you were one of the very first people I met when I came here because in the, this college hired a president in the middle of a pandemic. How are you going to let people know who he is? So one of my first appointments was with Kevin to take a, a portrait and do some informal photography. Uh, and, and Lane in our office put together uh, kind of a get to know the new president campaign that was very visual. So um, I, I really thank you both for the roles that you play in, in, in your organizations. Well, it's it's an honor for me, and I see my time at MSU as a photographer to document, but also to provide good stewardship to the university. Mm -hmm. um, back in 2020, I photographed a military plaque on the ground next to a flag. I researched it. Name the gentleman's name was Cosmer um, Laveau. I, I through Google, I found out that his birth date and his name. And the date he was killed was misspelled and wrong. Really? So I sent that to the um, DP, Dan Bowman, IPF, Instructional Planning Facilities, and Steve Truth, um, Campus Planning. I said, hey, here's the photo, but if you Google Mr. Cosmo Laveau, this information is incorrect. That was in 1919. This plaque has been on campus incorrect for the longest time, and this coming Memorial Day... His descendants, at least five of them, are going to participate in a ceremony where they put up a new plaque with the corrections just because I showed an interest and go, who is this guy? That is too cool. Photography is, is really special. To me, it's um, – this is going to sound a little out there, but, but your observation makes me think – Photography is kind of a form of time travel. It's a, it's a way of going back, and you can look at a photograph and see new things in it. Folks can't see this, but we're actually in a room uh, in the administration building that's filled with historical photographs from Lansing. And Kevin, your images helped me, your historical images from before COVID, helped me picture what this college was like before lockdown. Mm -hmm. So I just, I just want to, you, you, foc you focused a lot on groups of people gathering. And I was so thankful that you did that because I needed to kind of picture what this institution's like when they're, when they're people here. Yeah, my, my degree is actually in history. Um, so it, it really speaks to, you know, what I learned. Um, photographs depict you know, our past. That's it. Without, without the Matthew Brady photos, you know, of the Civil War, for instance. Exactly. What, what, what would we know of a battlefield? You know, it's, so everything we do is, is saved for history. And history is my favorite subject. Well, <laughs> there you go. You're so, playing an important part of history because long after the three of us are gone, your images will be in the university or the college archives and will teach uh, the, the people who have the honor to lead our institutions in the future what it was like then. So, gentlemen, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you making time to talk to me. Thanks for having yep, me. It's, a pleasure. it's been an honor. Absolutely. Teachable Moment is recorded by Steve Robinson and produced in the WLNZ studio on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack is licensed through DeWolf Music and was composed by John Rowcroft. Want more Teachable Moment? 
Visit lccconnect.org for more episodes. And if you have an idea you'd like to discuss with me on the show, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. You're listening to LCC Connect on WLNZ Lansing, 89.7 FM. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.